Hi, I'm Sage Latora, and this week, another question. What role-playing game would you use for Frank Herbert's Dune? Oh, yes. So I'm here with Adam Blinkensop, not Adam Koble. <laughs> uh, and we're talking about Dune. 1965 science fiction ecology masterpiece... A uh, piece of insane Zen Buddhism and and all sorts of massive craziness. Yeah, so I was really excited for this question. Uh, we we kind of came up with this one last minute, uh, but the idea of tackling for some uh, you know popular media thing, what rule system would you use, is really interesting because we get to talk about what is important in Dune, uh, like what makes this book stand out. I think I think we need to get one big question out of the way first, which is. Are we talking about playing Dune like Marvel superheroes plays Marvel, or are we talking about playing Dune like a Dune-like setting and universe? So that's a really good question, and uh, as part of getting ready for this, I actually looked for existing Dune games, because I knew there were a few, a few of them I was already familiar with, Sure. Um, and I found a blog post from a guy who was going to do the D20 adaptation of uh, Chronicles of the Imperium, which is a Dune game. Yes. And he talks about how they did a survey and found that in various settings, various people would have different amounts of, I want to play the established characters or I want to make my own. And for Dune, apparently, people uh, in their survey said, we definitely don't want to play the established heroes, but we totally want the main plot line to still be happening. Sure. Which... So, basically, uh, the Pendragon campaign in the Dune universe. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of... Uh, or what is it? <laughs> There's a, a great Star Wars Extended Universe comic, uh, Wedge and Binks or something, that does Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Um, yeah, and so the, this is, like, that's one way to approach it. Right. Uh, the other big one is to kind of push a, I want to tell a story like Dune, and, mm -hmm. and really shove on that one. And that is really hard, because yeah. Dune is such a weird story. Yep. Um, I mean... A lot of the role-playing games that uh, that we end up playing are very much uh, people are attached to individual characters, and plans, if they are super long-term, are generally not character plans unless they're really vague. Mm -hmm. Whereas Dune's all about the wheels within wheels thing. Like, I have this plan with 20,000 contingency plans, and you know about almost all of them, but not this one big twist. Yeah. And and doing that kind of secrets. And then also, it, it's kind of a PvP thing, because there aren't very many characters in Dune that are just, yeah, we're on, the, totally same on the same team, right? Yeah. So, well, so that, hard. That's one of the examples that came up a lot in the existing Dune games, is uh, you end up playing like a, a squad of guards who are dispatched to secure Arakeen before uh, <laughs> right. the Atreides get there or whatever. And that... I mean, uh, apparently that's what some people want, but that doesn't sound like Dune to me. I don't want to play that game. I, I really don't. Well, yeah, there's lots of stuff that you could play that are like small slice of life things, right? Yeah. Like, you want to play uh, a Fremen group, and you just want to play them before yeah. anything happens. Yeah, like, you're, you're just going to be desert nomads and uh, sandworms, etc., etc. Yeah, I've got 50 games that could play that. Yep. Uh, none of them would feel at all like Dune to me. Except for the set, like, you have a sandworm, hey, you know you're in Dune, but nothing else would give you a clue. Exactly, and that's how a lot of these games ended up looking to me. And then there's mm -hmm. also the aspect of uh, going for, um, it, even if you want something Dune-like that's not exactly Dune, is it still going to be like a desert planet with sandworms and stuff? Right. I mean, how much, of, how much of Dune is the Imperium and, uh, like, exotic planets, not necessarily desert planets? Right. Uh, 
Does the, Spice still need to be there? There's another huge part, which is uh, just so much insanity. The, the big one being prescience and out-of-time kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. you can see the future and predict the future, and choose between multiple timelines and and so much of this stuff is yeah that Benny Gesser had been planning for thousands of years and the Mentat stuff started 10,000 years ago and and all of this kind of stuff and how do you do that in a linear storytelling experience yep uh which is my primary choice for playing Dune uh microscope yep uh, I thought you were going to go there it is a it is not something I would choose to use to play Dune uh, but I feel like it is the closest to providing a Dune-like experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Microscope being the fractal RPG, if you want to have anything like uh, Paul is seeing the future or the Bene Gesserit are seeing the future, I think that that's the best direction to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so... <sighs> Microscope makes a lot of generic role-playing system decisions so that it's not baking very much genre in. So you could definitely start the game with a bunch of stuff that are, okay, we're going to play a Dune game, mm-hmm. and we're going to start it here as the uh, um, the big revolution dies down and everybody says you can't make a mind in the, in the form of a computer or whatever, yep. and end it after book five because who cares about Brian Herbert's books? <laughs> uh, and I think I think that would make for a very interesting game in that universe. I think trying to tie down um, enough out of universe kind of themes and making a game that's about the same kind of stuff but in a different universe would be almost impossible because it's just way too much work to get everybody on the same page. I mean, I think that uh, th- there's this thing that you can do with shorthand where if you know the people you're playing with and you say, mm-hmm. we're going to do something like Dune, but file off the, the serial numbers, it can right. work. Like uh, a game that, I guess, isn't really ongoing anymore. It, it was my ongoing game for a while. We were playing a Apocalypse World Dark Age. Uh, Dark Ages, I forget which way he prefers. And uh, we said... D-A. D-A, yes. <laughs> A-W-D-A, as opposed to D-W, or yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Anyway, the thing that we were doing, we said basically it's going to be like Game of Thrones. We're going to use that touchstone all over the place, right. but it isn't Game of Thrones. Uh, like it, The setting is a bit more Skyrim. Um, there's this whole thing about Dragon's Awakening. Uh, like The society is actually substantially different. But we still, like since we end up with actually pretty similar themes in a lot of ways, because we all... All of us are close friends, and we all have this this touchstone, and we can talk out of character about it. Like we don't have to right. rely on it always being great. We can be like, actually, that that doesn't seem like it works. It's like the elevator pitch pattern, right? You say yeah. it's like A, but with B, and and that's a that's a pretty easy way to to pull it, I guess. If you have people that are really familiar with the books, I so guess. I think that uh, I mean you brought up Microscope, and we should that that is not a game that necessarily a lot of people know about. So we should probably explain a little bit of how it works. Microscope is is Microscope is awesome. Microscope is a game that. Uh, has no GM, um, and you rotate around the table adding things to the shared timeline. And you are not restricted as to what time you are required to add things in. So you start the game with just kind of the bookends of the timeline, and that kind of uh, basically sets up your genre and sets up uh, the setting and what's going to happen and all this kind of stuff. Um, And you also uh, do a bit of beginning 
I want these things to be involved in this game, and I really don't want this stuff. You know, you're sick of zombies, so no zombies in this game, and somebody else really likes dinosaurs, so we're going to do dinosaurs, and somebody else doesn't want the dinosaurs to talk, so we're not going to do that. And then you just start adding stuff. Uh, this is Ben Robbins' game from uh, 2011. And when you're adding things, there's three levels of stuff that you can add. You can add something at the top level, uh, which when I'm explaining the game, I tell people this is a movie title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's an enormous scope of stuff and you're just giving a little tiny sentence about it, uh, to kind of pique our interest and that's all you're putting down. And you put this on a little index card and drop it on the table and move everything out of the way. Then you could add something in the, a little bit lower level, which is, uh, you know, kind of a relatively large section of the movie or maybe the top level is a series and the second level is a movie, which is... Here's a sequence of events of stuff that happened during this time period and had some particular outcome. And then at the bottom level, you do a scene. And playing scenes is the most mechanically light scene thing that I've ever seen. Uh, But it's interesting and it's fun. And and since everybody's generally on the same genre page, it plays pretty quick. Uh, And it's the kind of game that you can start and stop whenever. Uh, and it's still pretty interesting. But there's so few mechanics like to really grab onto. And everybody has to be really good about setting it up as Dune-like to begin with. Yeah. Which uh, is... Because nothing's going to keep you on track. Yeah, nothing's going to... Well, except the things that you yourself set up. Um, you're, I've never heard the, the movie description before, but that's a really good way to think of it. I almost wonder if you could think of them as... Um, Seasons in a TV show. I was just reading, uh, I'm about to rewatch Babylon 5, and I was looking at um, J. Michael Straczynski, who I have very mixed feelings about at this point, but some of his comments about it, and he was talking about how, you know, they had this whole five-season plan, and everybody told him it wouldn't work, and it almost didn't. But (laughs) there there were uh, at least... He at least covered things he wanted to, uh, supposedly. Um, But the idea that, like... The each season is uh, and like Breaking Bad kind of has like season wide themes. Right. Um, I could see if you. That's the interesting thing about Dune as well. Uh, most adaptations outside of the book have not been super successful, so it's not like we have an idea of what Dune on a Game of Thrones TV show kind of scale looks like. Right. Well, for Dune, for Dune, I would say that they would be the books. So not like book uh, one yeah. to book five, but in book one, there are three books, books. in yeah. quotes, right? Uh, and book the first part of that book would be one era. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember Ben's actual terms for them, but one top level uh, thing. And then within that, you would have the... Um, the Atreides family prepares to leave for for Dune, yeah. and then within that you would have the Gamjabar scene. Yeah, and and so one other really cool thing about the scene stuff is that to create when you create a scene, you say what the question is that you want answered by the scene, mm-hmm. and the rules are that the scene ends when the question is answered, and one of the people in the scene is given the job of determining when that question is answered. So just like Burning Wheel style beliefs. Coming up with a good scene question can really make or break Microscope, as mm-hmm. far as interests are concerned. But every game I've played of it has always had people just wanting to play until somebody had to leave. So, yep. it's a cool game. I, I've actually struggled with it a little bit. Um, partially because I've usually played with 
larger groups. Oh yeah, it needs a smaller group. It needs a smaller group because uh, always by about the first full time around the table, I was like, I am about ready to be done with this. So yeah. Like, when I say smaller group, I mean like three, four, five people are really good for microscope. Six is kind of pushing it. I think we were playing with at least six. Anything um, more than that, and you probably won't get a turn to create your two things because it, it plays pretty slow and unless you have lots of time. Uh, and you will have way too many people in a scene. Yep. Like you want scenes to have three or four people in them to make them really interesting. And then once you get to five, it's like, well, this fifth person probably isn't going to say too much, uh, which is kind of a shame. Uh, ben suggests having somebody play the role of time yep. uh, and kind of egg the scene on and kind of be a facilitator. I think it really works best with four or five. Yeah. And there's the option, like, uh, in Doom, there could totally be uh, the sandstorm. Could be, in a scene, in the microscope sense, that could be a player right. role. Um, so, before we get to any of my picks, I want to mention a couple other things about Doom that were on my mind. Um, first of all, is, like, the trippy nature of it. Uh, this is something that comes up a lot in the... J- Jodorowsky? I'm probably going to butcher the name. Uh, the Jodorowsky Dune... The original attempt at a film. Yeah, the original attempt at a film where he basically said, I want this to feel like a drug trip, and the sketches and stuff that exist of it, uh, it seems like he was on that path pretty well. Um, and that, that runs throughout the book. Like So much of the book is about altered states and uh, spice and all these weird other substances... Um, the Sappho for the Mentats, it, it just goes on and on. It's uh, it's a product of its time in that respect in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that a game to deal with that, like a lot of games don't do a particularly good job of dealing with uh, the like mind-altering substances. Uh, there's plenty of games that have like, these are the rules for poison. Right. And then everybody says, okay, here's uh, drugs or a poison, which, okay, maybe technically, but it doesn't quite fit. It doesn't fit the, you know, Paul falling into a trance and all this stuff. Well, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like talking about, uh, altered sanity states. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Coble, the other Adam, uh, is doing a, uh, a series on YouTube where he plays through some computer RPGs and talks about relevance and he played Darkest Dungeon, mm-hmm. uh, really recently and he covered this topic pretty well. So I, I will leave him to it. Um, but trying to do anything that talks about altered mental states is, is relatively difficult. And then uh, Frank Herbert also does, you know, that's, that also affects the prescience idea and it also affects the wheels within wheels kind of deep yep. planning idea and the heavy thread of Zen Buddhism mm-hmm. through it, which in modern day people have learned to mostly joke about. Like, I'm going to say something that's just totally confusing, and we'll call it Zen. And it's like, no, that's not that's not really how it is. But doing it well is super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's complicated. Yeah, and the uh, like uh, Dune playing into the the drugs also uh, deals a lot with um, overwhelming emotions and right. overriding your mental state. Uh, so the the Vending Desert voice. Um, some of the emotional stuff that happens at various points, uh, the um, the doctor uh, breaking of the mental training, all that stuff has this kind of your your body is not always or your your mind and your body are these intertwined concepts which you're not entirely in control of. Yeah, characters being ripped in multiple directions is a theme of a bunch of stuff I have written down. Yeah. Um, and that's so hard to do. Well. It, it's so hard to do, and part of it is even the loss of control. Like Games like Burning Wheel do a pretty good job of uh, like 
getting you into the mind of a character who has their own goals and maybe torn apart by those goals, there's a less good job of the, uh, like, I am so angry right now that I have a hard time dealing with that. And going back to early D&D, you've got fear saves and stuff like that that kind of start to touch on this idea that uh, your character's, like, physical mental state may be different from you as a player. Right. Um, And to this day, there are different kind of traditions of play, whether is my character... Um, like a physical puppet that I inhabit and my mind is the only thing that matters and if I'm calm, my character can stay calm. Or is my character, do they kind of have their own like limbic system that can react to fear and stuff and I as a character say, I want to do this and my, or, or I as a player say that and my character says like, I, I can't quite do that. Right. Uh, and Dune I think is very much in the latter camp. Like it has to have that thing going on. One of the big themes that comes up and that we've talked about in reference to your game that you're working on because of both of course both of us have Dune games. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, that that's the, the part of the reason this topic came up. <laughs> you should because... play my game. <laughs> they uh, don't even exist yet. It's <laughs> a playable game. We just tinker with this idea nonstop. So one of the things that came up in our discussion though is is the idea of of faction loyalty for mm-hmm. characters. Like uh, almost all of the characters that are major characters in Dune have multiple loyalties. Uh, Paul is the craziest, of course. Paul starts as Atreides, and he's kind of a Fremen, and he's also a Mentat, and he's also got Bene Gesserit training and all this craziness. Um, and then his mom is Bene Gesserit, but also sort of Freeman and kind sort of, of Atreides. Atreides. Like, the fact that she is so Atreides is actually a key point of, yeah. And this idea of the factions pulling you in every which direction, uh, and, uh, you know, this is this podcast is, like, massively full of spoiler alerts, so, oh, yeah. so go read the book, uh, go read the book anyways, but go read the book before... Uh, this happens unless... Well, no, as we talked about in previous podcasts, maybe you do want the spoilers before. Maybe, yeah, it's true. It'll make you happier. And this one's given away at the beginning anyway. So Dr. Yua, who's impossible to to counteract, the Harkonnen found a lever, and, and so he's kind of pulled apart by these two factions. And so this idea of multiple factions uh, working on characters is this huge thing about Dune, which is my runner-up selection, which is totally a cheat, which is the Avalon Hill Dune board game. I knew you were going to talk about that. <laughs> board game discussion is totally worth it. Uh, so this is 1979 by the guys that did uh, Cosmic Encounter. So that's uh, Ben Eberle, uh, Jack Kutridge, and Peter Olotka. And this is a pretty awesome game. Uh, it's a very awesome <laughs> game. Fantasy Flight pseudo-reprinted it because they couldn't get the rights to the Dune license, so they did it in the Twilight Imperium universe really recently as Rex. Um, basically the same game, but the story doesn't fit uh, Yeah, well. Rex, Rex falls apart in a lot of ways. Like, we're talking about all these Dune things that make Dune awesome, right. and when you try to keep those concepts and then reskin them, uh, it falls apart surprisingly quick. I think this is a really interesting topic, though, because Rex is basically... The topic that we're talking about, which is Dune with the serial numbers filed off. Yes. And and Rex as a mechanical beast works really well. And to people that have never read Dune, uh, all of the reviews I've seen from those people are that it works really well. See, that's funny. I, I sat down to play Rex with you before I had read Dune or played the Dune board game. Uh, because my... my order here is actually really interesting. I played Rex, <laughs> then I played the Dune board game, then I read Dune. Right. Uh, so I came at this the complete wrong way. Uh, but anyway, Rex did not work like everything just seemed... But you didn't write a review. You said, uh, oh, I'm talking uh, yes. about the reviews I, I read. Apparently, I don't matter. I didn't write a review. <laughs> no way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's... The theme is not as awesome, but... 
Well, but some of the mechanics stop uh, feeling as good. Like, sure. they, they don't click as well. So, in the Doom board game, uh, one major element is that you've got uh, a sandstorm that's circling the world, and uh, unless you're the Fremen, you don't want your units to be out in it because it'll be ripped apart, um, and it has effects on, you know, who the next player is and stuff. Um, in Rex, that becomes an ongoing orbital bombardment. Yeah. Which just doesn't... It doesn't make as much sense. It doesn't make as much sense, and it isn't as cool. It doesn't feel that interesting anymore. You, it has a nice little piece that you move around the board that looks like a bunch of ships, but... Right. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I've got to, I've got to figure out, I've got to figure out a Dune copy. But the, the, so the way that the board game works is, uh, you play at six players because there's no reason to play any less, and it's heavily asymmetric. Um, so the player who is the Bene Gesserit in the Dune books, the Bene Gesserit have this limited prescience um, and have you know thousand year plans that they're trying to come to fruition, and they have a couple of really cool abilities on the board uh, that simulate the voice and stuff like that, but. One of their really cool ones is at the beginning of the game, they predict a turn and a person and a faction. And if that faction wins on that turn, the Bene Gesserit win instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of other really crazy stuff that happens. Uh, there are trader mechanics that are really interesting. There's a combat mechanic that's a blind bidding and you will lose everything you bid, uh, which has a bunch of really crazy stuff. There's alliance mechanics where alliances can only be made and broken at certain times. Right. So you're, you're stuck with people. Um, the collection of spice and the spice economy. So spice is your main currency for buying anything you need, units, transport, etc. Right. Um, but who you pay, so if you are uh, getting, unless you're the Fremen, getting people onto Dune, uh, onto Arrakis, requires paying the guild. And then if you want to buy weapons, you're paying uh, the Emperor. Uh, in, uh, who are also factions. Who are also factions. Those yeah. are players. Uh, so if you are the... Uh, the guild, you want people to try and get all their guys out there, and you say, okay, yeah, sure, just just pay me. And um, you're, you're collecting these resources from the board, too. Yes. So basically, it's it's this big six-way melee with really loose alliances and really cool trader mechanics, and it plays really well, and if you are playing the Dune game, and you have everybody in the right mindset, it's a great role-playing game. Yes. Uh, it, it taught me more about... Uh, it actually made for reading Dune really interesting because we I already had these ideas uh, because even I was playing the Fremen uh, the first time I played at um, PAX East years ago, actually. Nice. Uh, and I totally got the Fremen. Like, this is my planet. I've got... Uh, and the uh, Fremen have a special ability uh, if the game ends and nobody else has won, the Fremen win because they've got the long game, basically. They, right. they terraform the planet and it's theirs. Um, and so I'm, you know, I can just sit here and then alliances form and I'm like, well, I kind of don't want any of you to win, but if you're all forming alliances, I better be with somebody because otherwise I'm going to be screwed. It, it, it has a lot of the elements that we think of in role-playing games as far as getting into character. It puts you in that mindset. Because the themes are right. The thing that it doesn't have a lot of, um, which in, is actually something that I wrote down as a thing that I have trouble with in Dune, is Paul. Right. Um, because Paul is totally the the character that I'm tired of us giving to our young, precocious reading nerds, basically. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a it's a trope, right? The the trope of here is this person who's like you. They're very smart, and you know they have all these superpowers. And check it out. Here's the superhero. And Frank Herbert even covers this in interviews. He's like, look, 
here's a superhero, and he gets to the end, and he decides that this is totally terrible, and he says, we need to stop this, and you read through the next five books or whatever, and eventually it goes away and everybody goes back to, to black. Massive spoiler alert if you haven't read <laughs> all five books. Um, but I mean, but yeah, I think, I think oh man, it, how do you even do that in a game, right? Well, and I, I think that some games do, the, uh, do special characters to varying degrees pretty well. Not uh, necessarily Paul's power set, but like this was one of the most interesting things about the um, Buffy role-playing game, was that it deliberately set up one player character as the Slayer, who is far more powerful than everybody else. Like, there's no concept of party balance or anything. Sure. There's the Slayer who's awesome, and there's everybody else who can contribute. Um, and that that's... Like, you can do that. Um, I guess, I mean, it's Paul, it's Ender. Like, I... I'm not... I, I'm worn out on this. Like, it, it is a boring character in a game where you're playing with at least four characters. Yeah. Right? And that's what... And that's I, probably what you're doing. I guess you could play a solo role-playing game, uh, which <laughs> makes me feel Paul. really sad for you. But uh, well, the and it's not even just that Paul's boring. I I feel like it's a trope that we keep on selling. Any like I feel like uh, it's quite often. It's a power fantasy. It's a power fantasy, and we we sell this a lot. And it's a nerdy power fantasy. It's mm-hmm. the I'm special and nobody else gets it, and I I can I have it all worked out. Right. Um, I'm kind of tired of that, and that's actually a big upside to tune the board game, is that Paul is just another commander that you can put out there, and he he can be, even be a traitor. I believe that any of your... Yes. They do not give any special protection, so nope. you can totally send Paul out, and it turns out, no, actually, Paul is a dick, um, which is... <laughs> actually, that's a big spoiler alert. Uh, it's true. It's true in the books. Uh, he's not a traitor, but he is a huge prick. Um... So yeah, the, the so now that we've lost half an hour, listeners, <laughs> uh, don't yeah yeah so screw Ender's game, screw screw Dune. I mean no, and the thing is, I like these. Like I, it, it, it's uh, it's okay to like problematic things. I and I like both of these things, and I encourage other people to like them. I'm just tired of those aspects of mm-hmm. them, uh, and especially when it comes to you know what role playing game do I want to do this with? Um, making Paul the special beautiful flower is actually not high on my list. It's not in... So So let's talk about the themes that we really do want yes. in this kind of game. So I think neither of us is really interested in playing uh, I'm going to be Paul and uh, Sarah's going to be Jessica and this person's going to be this person. We want to play something like that. Yes. The, the, the Dune-esque game with, with factions and deep plans and kind of Buddhist... Themes and so we're throwing out the research that some actual gaming company did back in the nineties ish. Yes, uh, forget them. We're we're only choosing for us. Well, because uh, that's that's our that's our job. Exactly, so if, no, you, if you have comments on this, ping another question or sage your eye and, and tell us about your totally awesome. Yeah, game tell us game. how you really want to play Marvel superheroes, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Right. Or, yeah. Um, so yeah, the. The existing games that I feel like kind of fail at this. So I already mentioned Chronicles of the Imperium, which unfortunately right. I have not had a copy of. Um, the D20 version went into limbo for a long time and never came out, but a non-D20 version existed, uh, had an original 1,000 copy run, and then it's unclear, based on the information I could find, if it ever existed again. Uh, I was not able to procure, procure a copy. Uh, who knows? Is that the one Wizards of the Coast was going to take over? Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that one it existed apparently. Like mm-hmm. copies existed. Uh, who knows? 
The, the review I saw of that one, because I never had a chance to play it, the review I saw talked about it as, check it out, you can be a Bene Gesserit, and you could be a Fremen, and you can have adventures, uh, and it didn't seem to hit kind of the political stuff that mm -hmm. I really want out of a game like this, so I stopped. Well, and that's supposedly uh, based on the developer's blog post, which... Um we can link from the show notes. Yeah, totally. Part of what they found, they found, uh, like, the there's actually an adventure for it that's available uh, for the D20 version that's available online um, because it never was published, and this developer said, uh, whatever, I can publish my notes on the adventure. Right. Um, and he deliberately says, like, we, we looked at all this stuff, we looked at all the, the things that people wanted to do, and we thought that they wanted a more straightforward adventure. So the adventure is totally like, you go and beat up some Sardaukar, and it... It's a it sounds D &D like adventure, pretty much. It sounds like the D and D five E research. Yeah. is what it sounds like to me. Is that you have an audience that does this because that's what they do? Uh, I would be very curious to see who they asked. Yes, I guess. Um, but well, yeah. And the interesting thing is, in this research, uh, he says they found that for different properties, properties including like things that nobody completely owns, like Robin Hood or something. Sure, people had different degrees of wanting to play the actual characters and the actual plot. So some of them, people wanted none of the actual characters and none of the actual plot. They just kind of wanted the toys. Uh, for Dune, they wanted not the actual characters, but they want the main storyline from the book Dune to still be happening, and they want to be kind of involved in it. Um, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, so somebody who's played the Wizards of the Coasty one, let us know, because yeah. we haven't. Yeah, so that that's the big hole here. Um, Avalon Hill Dune I was going to talk about, but we already covered. Amazing board game. Yes. Uh, and if you uh, you can usually find a copy on eBay or there are people who will uh, make custom copies of it, um, which I have one of, and it is beautiful. This is how good it is. Fantasy Flight reprinted. Uh, tried to reprint as close as they could. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. The fan-made ones are amazing. Uh, so there's also um, a fan-produced D20 Dune, called uh, Dune Dreams of Rain, which is so directly D20 modern that it's kind of painful. It's um, D20 modern filed off and with Dune yeah. painted on. So, I mean, some examples here. Like, you, if you are a Choam officer, um, it, so it's a feat. It says, you know, you, are an you were an advisor to a noble house uh, that's part of Choam, um, here is your bonus. You get plus two to diplomacy and plus two to knowledge finance. Um, there, there, it, it's, there, there are so many things wrong with this. I'm, yeah. It, it's full of these kind of... Uh, I don't want to call them missed opportunities because I love fan projects like this and there's a lot of love putting into it and I don't want to rip it apart, but that's that doesn't excite me at all. And Well, I guess if you just want a plain adventure and you want it in the world of Dune, then that will be enough, yeah. right? Yeah. If, if you were looking to go shoot some Sardaukar, that will be enough. Yeah. Uh, that's not what we're looking for, though. That's not what we're looking for. I mean, uh, a Chris Knife is a masterwork dagger. Um, it has, like, multiple paragraphs talking about the in-fiction stuff of a Chris Knife, and then the last line is, it's a masterwork dagger. Um, it is several hundred pages long, uh, and includes, they make some noises about how it's playing anything in the Imperial world, that there are other worlds out there, so it includes things like rules for forest fires, uh, which, if you're just straight up playing Dune, is the most hilarious thing I can think of. I mean, I see what they're going for there, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, the larger Dune universe game, but a forest fire on Dune. Uh, and... 
Actually, there is some really cool stuff. Finally, at page 193 of this uh, free PDF, there is a section on themes of Dune, which is the exact stuff we've been talking about, and each one of them lists some potential plots. Um, Because that's the big thing that I was looking for from this game is... Not how do I what what are the stats for a Chris knife, right? But how do I make a story that feels like Dune? That's either Dune itself or uh, uh, you know my own story in the universe, or retelling that in a completely different way or whatever. Cool. Um, and it finally hits that for two pages. Um, so there is some cool stuff. It's free. It's a fan project. Um, that's Dune out. Dreams of Rain. Dreams of Rain. Uh, You're gonna have to link me to all these crazy weird yeah. ones because I need to. F- I want. I, ideally, I want to put PDF links in the in the show notes because well, it's way easier to get to than than RPG. There's one more crazy one. Um, Torps Dune. This uh, was kind of an amazing find. Um, I guess I can kind of describe it by saying that the first page is all in papyrus. Uh, <laughs> Now, now, papyrus is not a language. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. I should uh, point out papyrus is a kind of horrible font. Oh, oh, oh okay. Oh, man. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, actually, considerable amounts of it are in papyrus. It's all HTML. It's like 90s HTML, so lots of tables. And, which is uh, why it's in papyrus. Yeah. Which is why it's in papyrus. Um, but uh, it's so easy to mock some of the things that went into it, including the... It's based on a generic universal system called Twerps, T-W-U-R-P-S, related in name, at least, to GURPS. Sure. Um, Again, save for the universal role-playing system episode. The universal system... So I started reading through the rules, um, and just the section headings tell you a lot about this. Section 5.2, using skills. Section 5.3, death by electrocution. Section 5.4, death by fire. Section 5.5, death by asphyxiation. Section 5.6, death by radiation. Section 5.7, death by impact. Uh, and then it goes on to like starvation and stuff from there, which aren't necessarily death by sections, so I kind of stopped. Uh, my favorite part is that this jumps... I, I just wanted to know, like, okay, so how do I use skills and roll the dice? So I go to this section. What's the core, yeah? Uh, it, it's actually based on um, multiplying for a lot of things. So you look at... Uh, um, you Your levels of success are based on multiples of the number that you're rolling, basically. So a times three test is like a standard test. Um, and, and every threes that you have? Uh, so then like a times four is like a tougher test. So you're looking for basically target numbers based on your skill multiplied by something. Oh, um, okay. So if your skill is a two and you do a times three test, you're rolling against six or something yeah. like that. Okay. Um, sure. And then you can all, uh, it, it can also be kind of an open-ended test where you roll and tell the GM, oh, I got uh, more than times three but less than times four. So it's a decent success. Very wargaming. Very wargaming. Um and it is a long HTML-only document, so I'm probably missing out on some nuance here. Uh, but the cool thing here, because I don't want to throw this under the bus, it definitely is a product of the 90s, but there are some really cool things. Uh, the They have a bunch of scenarios that are, um, other than the usage of Papyrus again, really cool in that they tell they are... Um, they are less directed than the scenarios for Chronicles of the Imperium. They're okay. not like a, you know, go beat some Sardaukar. Um, Like, your characters uh, in one of them are tasked with... Uh, the adventure is called um, Bring Me the Head of Duke Leo Atreides. Uh, and so you are... Like, there's kind of a setup that you're tasked with 
killing Leo Atreides. Um, here's what's going on. And then it's... Uh, it's much less directed than kind of, a, and then you go here and fight them. It's more of a, you know, here's the landing field around where Atreides is. Uh, here are the things he might face. Sure. Um, so it's it's very scenario oriented. It's kind of uh, open ended in that it's. I kept on wanting to think of it as almost like um, fronts or some of these other kind of threat organization systems that people come up with. Right. Uh, because it, instead of an adventure of here are the things that you hit, which doesn't fit very well with Dune, it's uh, here is a situation you get thrown into, here are all the factors, GM, manage them. Uh, kind of like a sandbox as well. Um, it's a tactical combat game. Yeah, it, it's a... It's a tactical yeah. combat game, and the GM is given more free Kriegspiel type of control over the scenario. Yep. That's interesting. That's it, cool. It's interesting. There, there's some things going on there. Um, it, it's... Oh man, the art is the product it's, of its time. It's Everything's nice. a product of its yeah. time. Um, so yeah, that those are the existing things and why I think they don't particularly work. Um, oh, I had one more thing because we haven't covered it yet uh, that that Strauss and I have been talking about because mm -hmm. um, because uh, saw my uh, character creation post uh, and Strauss said that one of the big things about Dune that that struck him was the idea of respecting the forms. Oh, yes. And Canley, and, you know, all of these things are the way you do things. And so going outside of those bounds is really weird. And even thinking about using atomics is, you know, nobody would ever do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, nobody's going to use lasers around my, my shields and because of all of these crazy things. And, and that idea is something that doesn't get brought up in very many games at all. So I've got... Uh... Since I, at one point, was toying with a, a game based on this, I had a way to address that that I think is is reasonably cool. Um, it's playing off a bunch of other ideas. Um, I, I noted it down as basically an Apocalypse World-style move, because that's an easy way to note it down. I have no idea if this would actually be an <laughs> Apocalypse world game, but as I was reading the book, I was just like, oh, this game should exist. So um, my idea there is that uh, there are cultures defined within the game, possibly depending on how... Uh, how much you've filed off the serial numbers, these may be written down by the group at the time. But, like, Fremen are um, uh, proud, they are self-sufficient, um, and they are, you know, a few things that describe their culture in general, um, which is, is something that Dune kind of struggles with. It doesn't do too much of a, like, Paul comes in and saves these poor natives thing, but there's a little bit of that going on. Um, the the idea is that then you have a rule that says when you um, invoke the forms of a culture, you roll, and on uh, some sort of result, they are bound by that culture. They must respond in the ways befitting that culture, assuming they are also a member of it. So as long as you have this idea that if you're going into a duel with somebody, you can uh, like invoke Canley and obey the forms, and that uh, assuming that you can do this well enough to stay within the forms, uh, you have bound them to reply in the ways befitting an imperial citizen. Sure. Um, that even covers uh, Jessica's conversation at the beginning of the book. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I really like this idea. And then you can have characters who end up in multiple cultures, which me is both a susceptibility in that right. somebody else can come to you and invoke the culture on you, and you're bound to act in the way that culture expects, but it's also... Uh, it increases the number of people you can use this incredibly powerful ability on. And I think it kind of says something, kind of the way that Dune does, about how culture and these norms shape people. Like, okay. 
So, so let's talk about our games at the end of the podcast. Yeah, I know. So, so that people can just skip it. I know. I, well, that's pretty much the coolest thing in the game. I don't need to talk about it anymore. Uh, the the uh, games that actually exist that I would use to uh, play Dune that are not titled Dune in some way. Um, my top choice is actually a game called The Shadow of Yesterday. Um, so The Shadow of Yesterday is uh, an early game out of kind of the indie scene. Um, I have to admit that I've never played it in the default setting, um, because I find the default setting not particularly interesting, actually. Um, it's uh, a fantasy setting that, I mean, it has a lot going for it, it just never clicked for me. Um, I've used it to play in other settings um, kind of the way that you m might think of like Fate or something. You start adapting, uh, it, it's not quite as generic as Fate, but you can see how a lot of these concepts can apply elsewhere. So how how does the game work? So the the... Um, the basic dice mechanics are things that you're pretty much familiar with. You'll have a rating in some area, and that'll give you the number of dice you can roll, and you roll those, and uh, successes are defined in certain ways. Uh, I mean, a, a pretty typical way of looking at that stuff. The place where it gets interesting, um, keys. Uh, so if you've, uh, you may know these through um, John Harper's Lady Blackbird, uh, each character has things they have the key of something. Um, there are several provided in the book. You can easily make up your own. And they basically describe things about your character, and you earn XP for hitting your keys. And each key describes how you hit it. Um, and there's the opportunity for, like, resolving keys. Most keys have a way to hit the key and a way to buy off the key, which gives you a huge XP reward, in fact, enough to buy another key. Um, so you can do this kind of shifting, you know, I, I no longer get XP for uh, taking the punch for somebody else, I now get XP for protecting myself, because my character has gone through this shift. Um, and so that's that describes the way characters change in Dune reasonably well. They uh, kind of play to who they are, and then they tend to have these kind of big shifts in their priorities and who they are. Um, the other thing that really made me think of Dune, uh, when you get a 22, I believe it is, on a skill roll, you transcend. Your character is done with play. Um, they will leave play in, you know, whatever way you want, but you get to change something about the world as well. Sure. Uh, so this describes, I mean, I would argue that um, Jessica, when she becomes kind of the uh, the mother of the Fremen in their weird offshoot Benny Gesserit way is she is almost leaving play as a real character, but she is also changing the world in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, Paul at the end of Dune is basically doing the same thing in the second book when uh, his son becomes the worm. Yeah, yes, that's interesting. I think that's the third book because I've wow. read the second one and that doesn't sound familiar. Oh well, it's uh, awesome. The, the, the kids are just barely born at the end of the second book. Oh, then it must the second be the third book, book not much happens. It's kind of boring. Um, anyway, so the, these are the things that stood out to me. Uh, the the actual dice resolution is. I mean, it's good. Like, it, there, there's less that stands out to me in those moments. It's mostly about keys and transcendence that I think really nails this down. Um, I don't think that it has the greatest tools for dealing with... Uh, politics. Politics, uh, for dealing with drugs, or for dealing with... Um, some of the supernaturalish powers, right? Uh, which I think we've we've mentioned are things we'd like to see, but it's my top choice in that I feel like you can you can play out the arc of the first Dune book. Right. Um, my kind of runner up, uh, runners up, um, Burning Empires. We we sure. briefly mentioned this before is a game by Luke Crane based on Burning Wheel uh, and the Iron Empires. I believe was the name of the comic yeah. um, by Christopher Muller. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the the comics are basically about um, this ongoing invasion by mind-controlling worms. The Valen. I Valen. almost put this on my list. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny that it has worms, but very different worms. Yes, very small instead of very big, and these are very intelligent instead of just big beasts. Yeah. Um, the things that make it stand out, it has a cool system about how technology works. Um, you kind of introduce new technology into the game, and then you keep track of what that technology means through play. Uh, which works really well with a lot of the things that come up in Dune. Uh, like when, uh, early on in the book, uh, Jessica and Paul get the Desert Survival Kit, and it briefly describes all these things in the kit and doesn't tell you anything about why you need these things to survive in the desert. And then through basically the next like third of the book, you see them surviving in the desert and like using the sand tent and the thumper and all this stuff. Um, I think I think... The more interesting piece of Burning Empires to me is the idea that it's played... It has a very specific kind of chapter and scene structure, mm -hmm. and you make your overall plan for the entire chapter at the beginning, and then do all of this stuff, and then resolve, which feels more like the Wheels Within Wheels thing that we're yes. talking about. And it's got a PvP aspect, because you can definitely play it with some people playing the humans slash non-Valen group, and some people playing the Valen. The reason that it's not higher on my list, and the reason why I didn't emphasize that part as much, is that I feel, uh, in play, that part didn't click for us. Oh, interesting. The scene economy um, didn't match how our group wanted to dig into this particular thing. Um, and we we played, when I tried it a, a few years ago, we had played a lot of Burning Wheel. Like, we're, we, I wouldn't say expert, because... You know, we just talked about how hard it is to master Burning Wheel, but right. we know how Burning Wheel works enough to have a great time with it. Um, and we struggled with Burning Empires partially just to get uh, the action rolling in a way, partially because of the scene economy. Um, I, I think that often my roleplay style, we start with scenes that are somewhat innocuous, and then throughout a session you really get rolling and things take off. And Empires is like, you better do really important stuff now or you exactly. won't have enough time. And it, it doesn't quite mesh with how I'm best at running games. Um, so I, I agree. That fits doing really well. It doesn't always work out in play. Sure. Uh, and then my third recommendation here, um, a game that I'm surprised we have not talked about more, Apocalypse World. Um, mostly because Apocalypse World is deliberately about kick-ass competent characters. No, you keep going, and I'm going to formulate a response. Okay, uh, I can see you thinking over there. No, I, 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 I had written it down as a slice of life kind of game for if you wanted to do something like play the Fremen. I agree. Stage. I think that the problem that you'd have with it, um, as written, is playing the loosely connected group of characters who are. Uh, I mean, actually, it does loosely connect it pretty well, but doing the. Everybody's a mover and shaker. Uh, Apocalypse World, the thing that I was just talking about with scenes that kind of slowly build up and then things are rolling, that's how it's designed to work and how it tells you to run the game. Um, and I don't know that that works well when everybody is kind of these movers and shakers. I think that it would actually work well for sections of Dune at a time. Like uh, Paul and Jessica across the desert, or, well, escaping the, the attack on the Atreides and across the desert. And they would actually be working pretty well there. Um, but then uh, almost each each book within Dune, like you said, the, the sections of Dune called books, um, would almost be a different game there. You kind of have to recreate the characters and start all over again. Um, 
the things that really resonate for me in that is uh, Apocalypse World skews characters towards competency and gives characters a lot of ways to um, directly affect others, uh, especially things that remind me in a lot of ways of like the voice of the Bene Gesserit or obeying the forms. Like I said, I've got this idea for how to formulate, formulate that as an Apocalypse World move. Um, I think it's a stretch, and certainly as written, uh, Apocalypse World very much has its own voice, which is not Dune's voice, which... But that's that's easy to surmount. Like like I, we've talked before, Apocalypse World and, and Fate, right, are super hackable, and given enough work, you could mold them into the Dune game slash... I, th- I think the challenge is that you'd have to rephrase a lot of things from Apocalypse World, because the current phrasing is so much in this voice of this post-apocalyptic fiction, that it would be really weird to be talking about... Dune that way. How it so we know Apocalypse World can do PvP uh, yes. because we have seen it. Yes, a- and Apocalypse World can is is pretty generic because we've seen that too uh, with lots of games. But I don't feel like Apocalypse World has extremely good options for long term plotting and planning. Mm-hmm. Um, like the big tools that it uses for anything that's going to take a long time are things like countdown clocks or. Uh, here, hold three or or whatever, and it's you don't get very many tools as a player, as a non GM, a non MC player, for saying here's my grand overarching plan, and I'm going to tell all the other people about it so that we can see it go through and play, and mm-hmm. how it interacts with everybody else's grand overarching plan. Because Apocalypse World is very much about what's going to happen next, just right next, and yeah. here are a bunch of pressures that the the MC can use to make interesting things happen next. But it's very much, you know, now focused. I mean, I would... I, I think that you're right that it is very much uh, snowballing focused. Like, it's not a game that um, is very supportive or conductive to long-term planning. Uh, but there... I think... To some degree, you could use the um, workspace mechanic for that. Uh, you as a player depending on how you wanted to structure the game, go and talk with the GM directly about, I'm trying to uh, get, um, start this program, or uh, place this person within their organization without them knowing, what do I need to do that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the GM tells you, achieve these things. To do that, you'll need uh, to find a willing person who, uh, from the Furman culture, you'll need something to bribe them with, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, like, the first... The first few uh, chapters of the Dune book are all, like, yeah, there's a bit of setup, and here's an introduction of the factions, whatever, but they're almost all talking about, here's this plan that's been going for 5,000 years. Here's this plan that's been going for 100 years. Oh, yeah, we're noticing that people are stockpiling spice over the past 10 years, mm-hmm. and that leads us to believe this. And then you switch over, and it's like, oh, yeah, we've been pushing this person over the past five years to do this thing. And this entire idea of these enormous, deep, complex plans that people get glimpses of uh, and these hyper-intelligent characters figuring out opponent stuff. Yeah. And a lot of that also works because of the politics theme being so heavy in the books. And as we were talking about, politics... Very few games do politics very well. So I think that the long-term planning that you're talking about, um, depending on how you want to structure Dune... The many of the main characters at the points that Dune is the most concerned with them are not as involved in that long-term planning. Those right. plans are things that are forcing them around. You cut into the middle. You, you cut into the middle. Like you said, at the beginning of Dune, it tells us that all these things have been going on for 
tens of years is pretty much the shortest term thing other than Paul's life, I guess. So it's um, like it's like so if you were going to do it in play, it's like the Pulp Fiction cut of Star Wars. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. So somebody did a recut of the Star Wars of the the actual trilogy mm-hmm. uh, and in a Pulp Fiction style so you didn't have this long build up it just like started right in the middle of the action and did really cool stuff and felt very much like a Quentin Tarantino movie it was awesome if you can find it online find it um, and so but that's that feels very different from this really slow build up yeah but in the books uh I don't know how much of that slow build up is the pace of Herbert's writing and sure. how much of that is the actual pace of the action in the book. Uh, because we get... In the first scene, Paul is sleep. I just recently reread this course. book. In the first scene, Paul is pretending to sleep while his mom and the Reverend Mother look in and the Reverend Mother says, oh, I know he's not sleeping. Mm-hmm. In this, And that scene basically stays with Paul for the entire first chapter. So you, you watch him kind of go to sleep and meditate and introduce some stuff and then he wakes up, uh, has the Gamjabar scene with the Reverend Mother... Mm-hmm. And really, nothing interesting is happening here. People are just talking about what it means to be human and what it means to think. And here's my 5,000-year-long Bene Gesserit plan. But and, think, and there's nothing going on. Some of that is an artifact of the fact that it's... Uh, it has to be a book. It's a book. Not, uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. This isn't a game. Like, in, in games, we can spend... So much of that introduction of stuff, we as players can do more directly and more quickly. Uh, like you said, explaining... Um, elements of Dune, or even explaining the rules of the game, we don't have to do those in the same way that even the text of the game does. Right. Uh, we can do it more quickly because we're people, and most of the time we at least know each other a little bit, or know some of each other's background, or and something like that. And can bootstrap based on it that. It can bootstrap, so sure. we don't have to go into Paul's life so slowly. I, I still think that Apocalypse Sword is a bit of a stretch, but there's... Um, a game called Undying, based on that. Right. I was which, going to put that on my list, but I don't know enough about it. Uh, so I I have played it quite a bit. I've been involved in the development. Uh, it's my friend Paul Riddle. Um, but the the thing there is that uh, the structure of the game, as we've played it, we, Paul has been really clear about picking out the structure. Originally, it was... Um, it, He's a big uh, World of Darkness vampire fan, so it kind of started out there, uh, an apocalypse world, and you know he wanted to do for vampire what I did for my love of D&D with Dungeon World, um, and then over time, kind of, actually Dungeon World has some of the same arc, you realize that you have to focus in on certain things you love to actually make it really work, and uh, he, through feedback from people, has focused on um, the political machinations, but to do that well, the game is always, uh, each session of play is kind of when shit hits the fan, right? and then there are mechanics for bridging the time in between there and what your plots are doing and all that stuff. So our games generally jump somewhere on the order of decades between sessions. So uh, the last time we played, we were um, testing Paul's uh, introductory scenario for... um, which is set in the the Great Seattle Fire, which it turns out vampires were involved in. Who knew? Um, but the like we finished one session and then we're like, okay, next session it's going to be. I think we ended up agreeing on fifteen or twenty years later because everything had shifted in this one night, and then everybody starts their slow plans. Like my character ended up with the original uh, patriarch of Seattle off on like Bainbridge Island. We were kind of in exile. Um, 
like the other characters had made a play and kind of jumped into this new power system. We learned some stuff about magic. Like there was all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and this was the I could see that working to a point for Dune. Dune is a bit more leisurely than everything hits the fan in a, a quick time frame. Mm -hmm. But uh, the idea that you would play, say, a few sessions and then use, um, I, I say mechanic, but it doesn't have to be mechanic in the way that we often think of it as, like, you roll a dice and you get to choose how well your plan goes. But some You interact uh, with the game. Yeah, you, you in the same way that a lot of games do a structured thing. Uh, there's some structure to the conversation of how we determine where your plans are right. however much later. And then we play for a while again. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't think you'd have much. to... Like, you could probably do it and just do the delays of a week or two weeks as opposed to 10, 20 years. Because mm -hmm. there are definitely, like... Uh, what's, the, what's the quote? Uh... Long hours of boredom, punctuated by moments of sheer terror, and yeah. and that's that's very much that's very much Dune. So. That's very much Dune. Um, it's interesting because I feel like if it's only weeks, it's not as different from a normal game. Like you, may sure, not you're need already as much. jump cutting. Yeah, like a lot of games, you'll be like, oh, and then we go back to town for as long as it takes to heal this up. Right. Um, but I agree, that's an important thing. I just don't know that the game has to do much. Like that's already something that a lot of gamers can take care of. Um, so yeah, mm. all our ideas for what a Dune game could eventually look like now that we've covered uh, things that actually work pretty well. I think that all of yeah. our choices are things that I would be happy playing Dune with. Um, I, I think I think some kind of doing, some kind of, uh, of useful trader mechanic and some kind of deep planning within planning mechanic is, is I, making me sad. I'm not sure. I almost feel like those are... You need something that encourages the players to do those things, but I'm not sure you need uh, procedures for them. Well, so the reason that you might want a system... Mm -hmm. uh, so a friend of mine, Adam Ross Branch, uh, I love playing role-playing games with this guy because he's got a great mind for planning. And in our on-guard game, he came up with this enormous plan to... Uh, it was rescue somebody at the same time kidnapping somebody and making it look like a front to one character... But he kidnapped that person and made sure it was uh, under the guise of two other characters that are in the game. Mm -hmm. And then they would tell the Cardinal that there was a ransom. And tell, and then the Cardinal would assign him the job of rescuing this person. And like this huge, deep, deep plan. And I know... And, and he wasn't supported in any of this. He's just a smart guy and makes cool plans. Mm-hmm. But not everybody can do that, and that's what you want systems for. Like, I feel like uh, a useful system would give you a way, just like you have intelligence checks to help you out of a puzzle if you get stuck. A, a, do you? I mean, that's, that's a big topic of debate. Well, I feel like if you're going to play in the Dune universe, you need to have mechanics that allow you to play a smarter character than you are. I do agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have to have some kind of a, but I have a, a plan in that contingency, right? You, you have to have the Xanatist Gambit uh, mechanic. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you want to get lost on TV tropes, feel free to search, or Batman Gambit. The idea that, you know, no, I was prepared for that contingency... Um, and a long-term goal that you're kind of trying to work for. Well, and part of the question is, and this is, um, uh, for a lot of people, a matter of taste that, because it's role-playing games, gets blown all the way out of uh, proportion, is um, 
does that do you actually have to have had that plan or is it all right if you can uh have an abstract plan point that you can then spend to say no i prepared for this uh in in some you know trade-off kind of way um almost all of the planning that happens in the dune books is very public mm-hmm. uh everybody knows about the plan um you just might not be able to deal with portions of it yeah uh like the the first few chapters again uh, they're talking about this entire Baron Harkonnen uh, oh yeah that we know that there's a trap that's mm-hmm. the first step right uh, but they only can deal with like pieces of it and that is why the Harkonnens take over but then the pieces of the Harkonnen plan don't actually work out so I feel like you need to have this kind of multi step if you so in the Dungeon World front kind of deal, the Grimportance, mm-hmm. uh, it's like if all of the factions or all of the characters had their own list of Grimportance. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, those are just countdown clocks from Apocalypse World, which is, um, th- this actually is one of the things I wish we had talked about more in Dungeon World, is this is a great way to uh, deal with long-term player goals. Um, and this is something that in the uh, Apocalypse World Dark Age game that I was talking about, we, we do a lot. You know, your character, uh, one of the characters was training up his uh, kind of disciple. He's a weird hedge magician god priest. Uh, you know, like like you do. Uh, and he had kind of recruited a second to his to go worship of the old gods and everything. And uh, the uh, the GM just says, okay, write down a countdown, you have this many until he um, is basically yours. Right, and the, the, the thing that is missing from that way of handling these plans is how can we mechanically interact so that I can cut pieces in your plan mm-hmm. and we don't know whose plan is actually going to work as perfect as they would like it to work. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> that uh, that's... Part of that is if I'm a player who is contentious with that, which right. my character actually did have some contention with it, but at a later date. Um, <laughs> you, I can start being like, okay, I know that he's going to be able to fill that in uh, based on these things. I want to make sure those things don't happen. Mm-hmm. Or I know he's going to become his disciple if I can, or you know, he's likely to become his disciple, if I can have my own plan in motion to put my own hooks into him, I can get something out of that as well. Sure. Um, I think... I, I don't know. I think I, it'd be doable. It might be doable. I worry that uh, making too much of a system around planning takes some of the magic out of it. Like, the the characters in Dune don't need any system to make them do this kind of planning. No, but that's the thing, though, is that most of the scenes in Dune are not actually the, uh, here's the explosion, here's the fight. Most of the scenes in Dune are, I'm talking about this awesome plan, and then mm-hmm. there's like a paragraph that is, and then the shield walls explode, yeah. and whatever, right? And... This entire setup is the interesting part. And I feel like that's what would happen in play in a Dune game, is that you would have this big player-player, uh, here we shift over to this scene where these two characters are talking about their crazy plans, and mm-hmm. then we write those down and give them mechanical benefit. And then we switch over here, and these characters are talking about their plan, and we write those down. And then, bam, resolution happens, and we find out whose plan is awesome, and then we switch back to planning. But I think that the important thing there, if we're focused on the, the fictional game world, right? Like, if my plan is the thing that my character has that uh, they're executing and they're trying to do, and as long as that's like a consistent thing, there's not too much of a oh somebody else can spend a point to say I didn't actually do that. Right. Then 
uh, the, the planning taking place in character, like the, the setting up of the family uh, atomics on the shield wall, is a thing that I'll do in play. Like, I don't need a mechanic to say that. Like, if there is some challenge to doing that, the GM might say, okay, well, and then we'll drop into more of a moment-to-moment play. But I can also say, no, I get the family atomics over there. And they're like, okay, yeah, nobody's going to... I can't see anything that would go wrong with that. No problem. Sure. Um, Just take care of it in the fiction. And yeah. Like, which, which hits your post about, really, you hit the dice when you want to say, you know, none of us... We all want to just, uh, you know... Uh, we want give, to... give this role to the dice. Uh, I don't want to have to decide. Uh, push it off to somebody else. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, if you guys have any games that, uh, that we totally missed, uh, let us know, because we were going to want to play Dune a lot. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and yeah, through the usual channels. And you have to send me all of these games. I will. Uh, they were or... surprisingly easy to find, actually. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm a little... I was worried that we were all going to come up with the same thing, because I basically Googled Dune RPG. Oh, I immediately said, I, I do not want to play any of the RPGs that have Dune in the name. You know, that was my first reaction, uh, but I wanted to at least make sure that there wasn't something amazing out there that like I just overlooked. I, I would hope that I'd heard of that. See, I figured but... that you would do that. So I'm uh, saying. <laughs> it's crazy. Every week I think that we're going to come in with like the exact same things, and we keep on uh, coming from different perspectives, which is probably a great thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to keep that up. Okay, well, uh, we will see you all, or hear from you all, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Bye.